It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to another episode of Be the People. Today, we're going to be talking about something very important, and it's the, the values and principles that have influenced our society and our nation for generations. There's something that's been lost. We all know it. My next guest, Dr. Grant McCracken, who is a cultural anthropologist, is going to fill in some of the gaps, and we will be deeply enlightened by this conversation because Mr. McCracken has done research about it, but he's also an observer of people, societies, and nations. And so, Grant, welcome to the Be The People show, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Carol, thank you so much for the chance to chat. I'm a great admirer of your work, um, so it's an honor to, uh, to share a conversation with you. Um, I'm uh, an anthropologist, as you said. I uh, came out of the University of Chicago just as anthropology was in a position to start studying an American uh, studying American culture, and that's what I've been doing for the last 30, 40 years. Um, one of the things that's really caught my eye in the last couple of years is, is what I think you would call a banished virtue. Uh, I've been reading We the People and enjoying it very much, and I love this idea that there are virtues that used to be powerful in our lives, used to be powerful in our culture, and they have, by, have been banished from currency by, as you call them, the cultural elites that presume to tell us how we should live. So that's what I've been looking at. The banished virtue I've been looking at is the one called honor. Um, and, and anybody who's been watching the magnificent show by Shonda Rhimes uh, on, I think it's on Netflix, called, what's it called, Bridgerton, which is a study of 19th century England, is looking at a society that's completely preoccupied with honor, right? All they care about, their lives are completely ruled by honor. So I had that kind of banging around in my, that precedent in my head when I was looking at American culture and noticing people who are behaving in the most appalling ways. Um, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and, and uh, who was that horrible um, uh, gym, gymnastics coach? Anyhow, there's just no shortage of people who behave as predators in what seems to be an almost unapologetic way. There's no constraining them. Um, and so I thought, you know, what if we could brush off this idea of honor that used to be so powerful in, in Western cultures? What if we could brush that off and put it to work again in the hopes of making us uh, more decent, um, more... Uh, capable of, of a goodness that sometimes seems to escape some people. Now, Grant, when you talk about honor, you know, uh, older people, we have uh, uh, the concept, you know, in our minds, we know what it means, but how do you define it? And what do you think it means to the millennial generation and Generation Z? Right. I think of honor as something that calls us to satisfy the expectations built into the role that we've been assigned. You know, we are uh, we are parents, we are husbands, we are wives, we're 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 children, we're citizens. All of those roles come with a certain set of expectations built in. 
Um, and these days, people seem to forget those expectations, seem to forget those responsibilities. Honor, an honor culture says, no, actually, it's your, whatever else you do, and we can talk about millennials in a moment, uh, because they have a number of cultural missions that they care deeply about. But the honor culture says, look, whatever else you want to do with your life, whatever else you care about, um, think about what the world wants of you. Think about the responsibilities you have been assigned. Um, and, and first things first, dispatch those, commit yourself to those. Um, and, and so it's my hope that this notion of, of honor, the other thing I try to, to do in the book is to build this idea of a reputation economy where we, um, where we encourage people to, to behave well. And when they behave well, they get credit in their communities for behaving well. So that's something else I'm keen on. But just for the sake of a simple definition, honor is doing what's expected of you. And Grant, why do you think uh, people learn that? And I, I think we, I, we would say the family, because um, I do know some families where they seem to have principles and uh, sayings that they pass down that mm. have guided generations. So is it the family where you learn honor or was there a time when it was imparted through public schools? Yeah, I think it's everybody pitching in. So yes, you, you hope the family will give you those sayings are such potent little uh, statements, aren't they? That, that, that enter into memory, they enter into your soul and in the course of your life, they surface and remind you of who you are and, and what you should do. But I think, you know, a variety of other people's make, people make a contribution, teachers and coaches and uh, pastors and, you know, a variety of people are there helping construct our sense of, of what we owe to the world. Now, in a society where we can't take for granted that young people will get these values at home or from the schools, how do you begin to turn things around mm. so that honor is something that people recognize? Even I think a concept like altruism is something that we know what it is. It's mm. noble, but is that something, you know, can these concepts be taught? Mm. I think they can be taught. I mean, you're absolutely, I, I think the younger you are, the more you are by an American culture charged with the responsibility of making yourself up and you, you, the, and, and you look to popular culture and you look to celebrity culture for indications of who you could be, how you want to act. Of course, some part of that celebrity culture sends you the worst possible message right? Celebrities are not just admirable creatures. Sometimes they're famous for being really not very nice people at all. And, and God help us if those are the people we imitate are celebrities behaving badly. But I think that's the, that's, that's the hope that, uh, that as people construct themselves for their own purposes, they're going to care about, you know, the, the issues of the day include authenticity, they include identity, they include uh, charisma, building a, a personal performance of yourself. You think about the way people are using Instagram um, to craft. You know, I've done this is one of the fun things about being an anthropologist is you get to talk to a, a range of Americans, including young women who tell me that they're really not sure whether they had fun on a Saturday night until they look at their Instagram the next day. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's when they say, oh, I looked great, or that was a 
that was a beautiful performance. They're almost acting like PR agents uh, who are governing their own, you know, their own image and how it plays in public. So, there's, so the our, I think a challenge is to say, okay, how do we get kids who are deeply caught up in a celebrity culture, deeply interested in fashioning their identity, deeply interested in pursuing what they call authenticity? How do we build honor into that? And and go ahead, sir. You were saying. Oh. Oh, sorry. I thought you were on the verge of saying something. Sorry. Oh, I thought my camera was hidden. <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I was, and now I've forgotten what I was going to say. So you uh, can continue. Was it something about it? Lo it looked like you were going to remark on my contention that for all of the things that people care about when they construct this public image, I was trying to argue. You know, we want to make uh, uh, we want to make honor part of that. And what's happening right now is people are building a certain public image. We want them also to care about honor as some part of the thing they want to accomplish. They want, we want them to want to be a person who is known for the contributions he or she makes to the community. And that can be simple things, right? You volunteer at a, at a, at a, at a shelter, um, uh, but they it, do it, that. Uh, you know, here's the thing about college is that when you're filling out those college applications, they advise what will make them look good. So people are volunteering and they're doing things that look good on a college application. What I wanted to say earlier is the millennial generation, they were the ones first to lose the sense of all honor because they were the ones, you know, that decided and maybe people have always known that they wanted to be politicians or they wanted, you know, to, to be whatever in life. And they started crafting themselves. And so that's been going on for a long time that people were looking to create a person that they thought would sell. So you go into the military because that looks good if you're going to run for office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just did a study of volunteerism for a big insurance company. And they said to me, Grant, what is going on here? When we talk to young people about volunteering, they say, oh, no, we care about it. But when we ask them to show up to do volunteering, they often don't show up. So they said, you know, I'm the anthropologist. I'm the guy you send in to ask questions. So when I talked to millennials about how they felt about volunteering, they said, it's horrible. We end up working for boomers who have an incredibly tedious idea of what it is to volunteer. And, they, and they, they punch us into these systems that are boring and stupid and predictable and they take no imagination, they take no creativity. What I wanna do is uh, run my um, volunteer activity as if it were a startup. I wanna um, build it myself, I wanna run it myself. Give me a little credit for my intelligence and my creativity. So I think some of the reluctance we see on the part of millennials to engage in this honorable activity called volunteering comes from the fact that we're so bad at inviting, inviting them into volunteer activity. Well, I don't know how you would describe uh, this behavior that I've noticed uh, with the current culture, you know, whether it's Generation Z or part of the, of the millennials, hmm. they think they know everything. Yet, um, as someone who's been a professor and 
I'm engaged in activities that young people want to be involved in. I do have people that want to volunteer. They want to work with me. They want to learn from me. But I think that that's uh, the rare exception that many of the young people, at least the ones that you see most in the media, they really do think they know everything and they can lecture any older person about how they should be. Mm. Yeah, that's certainly true. And, and to give them credit, they're living in a world that is changing at speed. New things come in and, and blow up and um, make themselves the kind of the center of attention. And, and a lot of us end up kind of losing touch with that. It's kind of the beating heart of contemporary culture. To some extent, I think it's up to us to stay a little more in touch because, well, I was, I, I was looking at a... Uh, I'm not very far from Yale. It's just up the road from me. And I was looking at a video that they had put online of a guy teaching a course. And uh, so they have, they have him in the video camera and he's reading his notes and he's droning along and he's just going on and on and on. And then they swing the camera around and they look at the students listening to him. And they're kind of like this. They're kind of like <laughs> barely conscious because the guy is so tedious. And I think that's right. That's a boomer at work. These kids are accustomed to special effects and right. CGI and light it up, right? And here's a guy reading from his notes. So I think to some extent, we could do a much better job speaking in the way, speaking the language, speaking about the thing, speaking in the way that they find compelling. I, I agree. And we're going to take a break. And when we return, I'd like to talk more about uh, the Generation Y and what's in store for the next 50 years and just how we can reach young people. And then we'll get to your uh, new book uh, later on in the interview. Be the People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. 60 years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee, which started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company that remains true to its founders' Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is build strong, stand strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We are the vision of the voices America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm back with my guests, uh, Grant McCracken, and we're talking about things that are very important to us in our society, uh, honor, principles, values. Uh, many of us are worried that uh, this uh, generation, that these things are being lost and it's to our own peril. Uh, Grant, uh, Generation Y, what do you think is in store for them if we don't figure out a way to reach them 
with some of these lost concepts like honor that, you know, like the things that we see as honorable, we reward them. You know, a lot of times when someone does a noble act, we, we um, find a way to reward them, but it seems to be a fewer and fewer people to reward. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, um, I think that used to be a standard, uh, I think, as everybody probably did over the holidays just past, I watched It's a Wonderful Life, you know, yes. the, the, right? And, uh, and there's a picture of an honorable guy, right? The guy who runs the bank uh, and, uh, and, and for on whom depends kind of the, the vitality of, of his little town. Um, and, and we get to see several visions of a world with him, without him, and we get to see a guy driven by honor. Um, it feels, so that's, you're absolutely right. That is the challenge. How do we restore to culture the idea that honor matters and then reward people for behaving in, in honorable ways? And, um, you know, I have, writing the book, I, I, I looked at celebrities and I was horrified. I looked at my neighbors and I found lots of people doing honorable things. The guy who is a, who sells cheese in our neighborhood is a, a, a pillar of the community who's creating a new way of socializing. And um, we've got a guy who a guy who was just down the street from me turns out to be. I go walking with him and his dog occasionally, and we go by a a hockey rink or a, or, or a baseball diamond. And he'd say, Oh yeah, no, I helped build that. And it turned everywhere you looked in this community, you saw evidence of this guy who just rolled up his sleeves and without, without fanfare or, or any kind of payment just made himself useful and, and <laughs> helped build the community. So I thought, you know, there are probably five in my, my little community is about 3000 families. And there are probably five guys like this man, Bob, who do what he does. And I thought, wow, if we could build an honor system, could we get more people to act like Bob? Could we, could we make that 50 people instead of five people? And what would happen if, if we could make that happen? Now, how old is Bob? And, and part of what you're describing, uh, I would say would be people who are self-sacrificial with their lives. So they're mm -hmm. about giving faith may be a component of that because, you know, they're, trying to help other people have better lives. Yeah. Um, so is that true? That First, how old are these people? Yeah, this, these people are all in their 40s or their 50s. And in Bob in particular is almost 65, I think, maybe. So yes, they're an older generation raised um, it, with a different, perhaps a different uh, view of the world. But again, as I say, when I did these interviews for Gen X, Y, and, and Z, mm -hmm. Uh, I could see people who were really keen to volunteer. They just wanted a volunteer system that didn't treat them like foot soldiers. That didn't right. treat them as right. And so. and I know so many young people that that are self-sacrificial and they do have values and they do care about society. And many of them get connected with the wrong causes because they want to do something, and so they just sort of latch on to things mm. that may not take them where they need to go. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess one of the tricks, you know, they're living in a world that's so different from the world I think we grew up in. You know, we had a pretty clear, well, your career is an extraordinary uh, accomplishment and you have my, my devout admiration. For many people, building a career was a pretty simple matter, right? You got a, 
certain kind of education and you put your you set your 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 um, lights on a certain career and you could expect to work for one or two companies over the course of a lifetime and for kids coming up i think you know it's like we'll you'll have three or four occupations at any given time and those will change over right. time so you live in a world that's just filled with with a variety of conflicting and changing demands and i think you know one thing we could do here is to say doing honorable things is a way to capture understandings and networks that are valuable to this construction of a life that is filled with all of this diversity and experimentation and many selves at work at once so we we could make it part of what works for them even as they work for a community i think well the other thing i want to ask you is that now things that we used to consider immoral mm-hmm. um is is now there's a new morality that's very foreign to what uh, many of us have always considered moral. Mm-hmm. How does that play into the whole idea that, you know, people have lost sense of honor. Th- those things are work hand in hand, right? Yeah. One of the things that really strikes me is this notion that we're obliged to forgive people who disgrace themselves. That's kind of standing notion in American culture. Somebody goes off and does something spectacularly uh, ill-advised. Um, you know, they 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 steal from their from their uh, from from a fund. Um, they they uh, they sexually abuse people. In the case of Lance, Lance Armstrong, right? He he corrupted his sport, uh, bicycling, racing, um, and uh, <clears throat> and the prevailing idea is that oh well. You know, the church should be as, uh, the, the, the community should be as generous as the church, right? The church is going to say, eventually, we forgive you um, as an act of, of, of generosity. But I think the community should be a little tougher. I think if somebody really behaves badly, if somebody's really a scoundrel, we might just say, in the case of Lance Armstrong, dude, you're done. You can't come back. You behave that badly, and we just say, you're out, but Grant, we don't do that with members of Congress. So think about over the years, <laughs> all the scandals yeah. that uh, some of the sitting members of Congress have been involved in. And yeah. in some cases, their colleagues applauded them, yeah. you know, after they had been all over the news yeah. in a scandal. Yeah. And so if you have the leaders at the highest echelons, yeah. they excuse certain forms of behavior. Uh, just think about the impact that has on everyone else in society that's looking yeah. No, you're absolutely right. My wife was just remarking on that fund within Congress that's used to pay off people who have been sexually abused by members of Congress, and the whole thing is hushed up. So we now have the government operating as a way of concealing bad behavior on the part of our representatives in Washington. So you're right. There's some fantastic abuses of power in play. Well, you may remember, I believe it was in the 1990s when it was revealed that the Congress had a bank for members of Congress and they had all these overdrawn checks. In fact, you could yeah. just bounce checks at will. Yeah. And uh, they were all, you know, participating in this. Some had as many as 900 bad checks. Yeah. They uh, ended that, but that gives you an idea of the double standard that they yeah. have set up for themselves. Yeah. And there's so many young people that they want to serve in Congress, they want to be representatives. Right. 
if they look at the body, you know, those are the examples that we have out there. And I don't know how you change that. If we had honorable people running for office and they were statesmen, I believe our whole nation would prosper. I agree. I agree. Um, and uh, no, so we want to encourage um, more honorable people uh, to run for office. It's, it's hard to do when so many people, as you say, use the power of Washington for dishonorable purposes. So we, we have a lot of work to do there. Grant, we're going to take another break. When we return, I want you to talk about your book, how uh, people can get a copy of it, and any uh, closing thoughts that you might have. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book. Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesowardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, Grant McCracken. And Grant, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to talk about your book. Yes. So it's called The New Honor Code. And I wrote it with a view to building um, an honor code that we could install in American culture to increase the possibilities that when people are on the verge of acting badly, they say to themselves, I shouldn't do this for moral reasons, but I should also not do this for, for opportunistic reasons because it, it will have an effect on my, on my, li my life and livelihood. Um, so I talk about things like the Harvard soccer team misbehaved itself extraordinarily and the implications were almost nothing for these kids. Could you so, tell our listeners a little bit about what they did? They, uh, it turns out there's a men's soccer team and a, and a women's soccer team at Harvard. And the men's soccer team created a, a, um, a, a, uh, a record of what they took to be the sexual proclivities of women on the soccer team and ranked them according to what they took to be their attractiveness and right. made the most scurrilous remarks. And you think, wow, Harvard is maybe the oldest institution in America charged with governing the morals of young people, of seizing mm -hmm. teaching moments. And the institution just looked at this and said, we're not going anywhere near it. Um, and the kids were not, the kids actually were allowed to apologize in the, the school newspaper, they did so with a letter that none of them would sign. And so in the book, you know, I, I just think to myself, what is an apology that's offered an, an anonymously? That's not an apology. It, it can't count as an apology. And there's a section in the book about the young woman, one of the young women who was so uh, demeaned in this way. And uh, the consequences were for her were extraordinary, um, really serious. So any, all of this is to say, you know, if this, the, the most distinguished um, institution can't manage to establish a moral compass for its students, uh, uh, we really have our work cut out for. So that's the point of the book is to say, okay, what would honor look like as a system? And I look at the Elizabethan period where it's very like the Bridgerton moment, right? When people are completely preoccupied with honor and say, okay, what part of this do we want to keep? What part of this do we want to jettison? How we could, how could we build it in? Well, it sounds uh, fascinating. And I just wonder though, how 
you take your noble cause and actually reach the people that need the information so that you could cause people in society to begin to think and act in a different way. Yeah. And I know that we have to reward the good behavior, but how do you uh, compete in an environment where you have, quote, ethicists and the ethicists that they have at the elite universities, they actually uh, teach things and push ideas that I would consider very immoral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, um, there are a lot of conflicting voices. That's absolutely right. Um, And a lot of people are apparently, some of them champion ideas that I think are bad ideas, and some of them just won't stand up when when called upon uh, to do so. Um, I'm hoping the book will speak to people like coaches. I think coaches have a huge role to play here, right? Because you listen to your coach. I mean, I, as so many people did, grew up playing sports of one, one kind um, or another, and coaches were enormously influential in my development because you listen to coaches and they have this authority in your life. And so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, pastors have always had this kind of uh, moral standing and responsibility, so they will continue to do the good work they do. I think high, you know, school counselors might be another group. There are a number of people in the world who, who could um, step up their game um, and I'm just sort of hoping to create um, a target for them um, and to encourage them to engage. As, as you say in We the People, right, certain kinds of moral, be- as you, and as you just said a moment ago, certain kinds of moral behavior has been actively discouraged. Right. Right. By certain parties in our culture. And I guess what I'm trying to do is create a counter voice to their voice. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, You mentioned pastors and pastors, uh, the church has been invaded by voices that are very progressive, very much like the world. They're Mm. not necessarily always the people that are going to push the honorable thing to do. I kind of believe that uh, pastors could do a better job. Teachers could do a better job. Mm. Like you say, coaches have a lot of influence and Mm. the fellowship of Christian athletes that, um, used to be uh, a group that was active on campuses. Now they've sort of been neutralized because of the Christian message. Mm-hmm. But uh, that had made a tremendous difference. The schools, I think, that had strong chapters, they had fewer scandals, oh. you know, in the news involving the football players and various teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, right, they can make an enormous uh, difference. You talked about, what was the phrase you used in We the People? Was it cultural reformers, I think you were talking about? People who come in and presume to tell us what, what matters and how we should live. Um, the cultural I, elites? The cultural elites. And then I thought you had another term for them when they were active in trying to change society. Anyhow, cultural elites it is. Um, I guess what we want are counter voices, counter, you know, a, a, a reply to those reformers who would uh, would discourage kids from from thinking about honor as, as something that should matter in their lives. Now, I want you to tell uh, our listeners how they can get in touch with you, but also uh, where they can find your book. And you, your book has uh, specific recommendations. It's really a book that hopes to change our culture and move it into a, a new and more positive direction. Yes. Yes. So it's um, for sale on Amazon. 
Um, and and you can listeners can find it on the Simon and Schuster website, and that's it, all they need to do is put in uh, the newhonorcode.com and that will take them to the website and show them their options um and and they can i'd love to hear from people if they're if they're keen my email address is grant27 at gmail.com so if people want to sing out um, i'd love to hear from coaches for instance or or any of the people we've been talking about Grant, I wish you the very best with your noble goal or to bring back uh, honor and anything that I can do to help. I'd certainly want to do that. And um, my our listeners, you know, would do well to think about this and what can we do in our own lives to encourage people, you know, to be the people. You know, it's all yeah. about us, yeah. the American people standing up. Yeah. And you think about our constitution, that preamble, we the people, uh, ultimately it's us. We're responsible mm. for the world we see. And mm. so we must stand up and be the people who change our nation and our world. Mm.